Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is the 6th of July, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge, listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Hope you had a wonderful um, 4th of July holiday weekend. Um, I I took an extra day, so I'm so grateful and thankful for Dr. Peter Kapsner covering for me yesterday. Also, hope you are enjoying the new version of the news at the top of the hour. Thank you, Paul Perot, for your excellent work with our friends over at World to make that happen. Oh, not a problem. I love yeah. it. I love it. Love I do, too. People. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, so what are you best known for? Just pause for a second and answer that question. What are you best known for? Magic tricks? Some particular food item that you're good at baking or making or roasting or toasting? I don't know. Like, right, we got to... We got like a smoker in our family, not like a not not like a chain smoker, but like a sm- meat smoker, like right. Best known for that. What are you best known for? Maybe you're best known for um, the fun you bring to an event. Maybe you're best known for your hospitality. What are you best known for? Samuel Francis Smith was a Baptist pastor. He was also a journalist and an author. But none of those things is what he's best known for. He's best known for having penned the lyrics to a song that I bet you could sing by heart. It was actually in the running to become the national anthem of these United States. It is called America, better known maybe to most of us as My Country Tis of Thee. Samuel Francis Smith wrote it in 1831. He was a student then at the Andover Theological Seminary in Andover, Massachusetts. He gave the lyrics to Lowell Mason, who was a well-known composer at the time, And Mason passed it along to the Park Street Church in Boston for use in their July 4th, 1831 Children's Independence Day celebration. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died. Land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside let freedom ring. My native country, thee, land of the noble free, thy name I love. I love thy rocks and rills, thy woods and templed hills. My heart with rapture thrills like that above. Let music swell the breeze and ring from all the trees sweet freedom's song. Let mortal tongues awake. Let all that breathe partake. Let rocks their silence break, the sound prolong. Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God, our King. Love of country is not um, an inherently bad thing. I, I mean, others may suggest differently, but land of country is can be a good thing in its rightful pro, in its rightful place. So, are you patriotic? Do you love America? What does that mean? We're going to talk with uh, 
Pastor Daryl Crouch about how we feel about these United States of America. We're going to talk about patriotism in its rightful place. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Is the sweet land of liberty of the I see. Our friend Daryl Crouch is back from Everyone's Wilson. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm well. So um, on the 4th of July, probably like, I mean, tens of millions of Americans, I sat with people that I had never met, but with whom I shared this like patch of grass while um, we were pulled off of you know, the side of a road in front of a field uh, over which fireworks were going to be uh, illuminated by, you know, the tiny little town um, in rural northeast Georgia where we have a little house. And so there's like pickup trucks, you know, lined up. Um, We're we're all facing this field of tomatoes. Uh, Behind us is the highway. And um, one of the families was playing their like fireworks playlist loud enough for all of the rest of us to enjoy it and sing along at appropriate times. And what got everybody singing was Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American. Um, and uh, it made me think immediately of the conversation that you and I had planned to have about patriotism and its rightful place. I mean, are people proud to be an American where at least we know we're free? Yeah, it's so good, Carmen. I mean, you describe a yeah, you describe a scenario that I think a lot of us had in common on Monday, and and um, and I think the Independence Day is a is a signpost for us. It's a it's a it's a reminder to us of what is true about America and w- what we do have a, the privilege of as we are Americans, and there is an enormous amount of uh, well, there's a large group of people around the world. Who still look to us and say, you know, that would be great if mm-hmm. that were true in my in my nation and in my community. And um, I was in a similar spot on a piece of grass and in, in uh, downtown Nashville, actually, and uh, which is one of the largest um, patriotic celebrations in the country, from what I understand. And uh, we're listening to the symphony as fireworks are going off. And and I look around and I'm I'm uh, if, I know the radio doesn't show this, but I'm. I'm a white guy, and um, I'm I'm oh, in a minority. Ra- radio show, radio shows yeah. it. I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> I know it, uh, it shows. So I'm a white guy, and we're a white family. And we look around, and and it is such a diverse group of people, Carmen. It was so encouraging. Uh, Hispanics and um, folks from um, uh, Asia and uh, all, all over the world were there. And um, many of them were dressed up. I mean, we're, it's hot, you know, and, but many of them are dressed up in uh, what some of us might wear to church. Um, uh, grandparents are there. Little babies are there. It's 10 o'clock at night when we're finished. And it was amazing. And they were just glad to be there. We were all just glad to be there. And um, there, that doesn't re- reveal, uh, re- reflect that we think everything is just as it should be, and we can talk about that. But there is something really important 
about celebrating what the gift that we do have in uh, in this great land of ours. Um, pledging uh, allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, putting our hand over our heart as we sing or as we or as we pledge allegiance, recognizing that um, we are an imperfect union striving to be a more perfect union. Those were some of the conversations that we had. We actually read the entirety of the Declaration of Independence, which my 84-year-old mom said, huh, that's a little longer than I remembered. Um, and and we were also writing down um, some additional words that we thought might be good for Scrabble, because I got to tell you, there's some long words in the Declaration of Independence if you read the whole thing. Um, what are some encouragements that you would give today to people of faith in terms of, you know, the, the sort of right place of patriotism in our heart and life? Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, those are traditions that are really important for us. They, they help us, they help uh, us remember, uh, the older generation remember, it helps the younger generation to see us valuing uh, our nation and and what we've been given, but in terms of just there, there's some I think stakes in the ground that we we can um, uh, kind of drive in and and hold on to. Um, f- first of all, a loyalty to country is not the same as idolatry of our country. Uh, we 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 understand that we are in between times. This is not heaven on earth, and uh, there is much work to be done. Um, we are certainly an in-between times creates, uh, can create a sense of angst, uh, can create a sense of, of this unfinished business. Uh, I can't rest until it's finished. And, and there's some good things about that that continues to keep us motivated to advocate for, for uh, uh, laws and, and just policies that uh, can be uh, favorable to, to everyone and protect the vulnerable and inspire the, the strong and all of those things. But it's okay to be loyal to our country. Uh, we have been given, you know, boundaries are important. Uh, Acts 17 and Paul's um, address in Athens is a wonderful reminder that God has put us here, that these are this is our land that he has given to us. And we we um, we have a lot of conversations around uh, how to make it better, uh, but this is our place. This is our time, and uh, this is also our stewardship. So it's very difficult to um, um, to be a good steward of that which you're continually criticizing. That mm. those aren't the same things. And um, I can love my family, and I do love my family. Uh, without uh, thinking that we are, we have arrived, and all is well with us. Uh, there are, there is unfinished business to do. But if I'm constantly criticizing my wife and children uh, because they're not, they haven't quite measured up to perfection yet. Well, that that's that's not good stewardship. That's not good leadership. And uh, um, so we can we can step in and invest and um, work to make things better. And still be loyal, and still be loving, and still um, be an added value. Uh, I find that it's it's very easy to to criticize. Um, it's more difficult to build something. And mm. um, I, I think if if we really want to build something, we it's because we love it, and uh, we we want it to be better. And so I, I think there's a, there is a tension. There's no question about that. And um, these are days that are, un, you know, we're, we are in kind of a liminal time and, and, 
Um, there's a, I think there's a recalibration going on in our culture, uh, Supreme Court's rulings and another mass shooting. And there, there's a lot of uh, transition happening in our land as we're figuring out again what it means to uh, to have a, I think, as uh, Justice Alito mentioned uh, in his ruling, an ordered liberty. And what what does that mean uh, as we learn to uh, live in community together? So there's a lot of work to do, but uh, loyalty is not idolatry. If we're going to recalibrate uh, the culture, what are we going to calibrate it to? What will be the measuring instrument, the sensor, the piece of precision against which we would recalibrate our culture. We're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. We're talking about the rightful place of patriotism in our heart and life during this Fourth uh, of July week. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, from sea to shining sea. Yeah, I, uh, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. And I'd gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Because there's no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. We're talking about patriotism in its rightful place, not idolatry, not, uh, not nationalism, but patriotism. Talking with Pastor Dale Crouch, looking at a, uh, a Gallup poll that they've been doing since 2001. Um, And so, Daryl, if asked, here are your options given by Gallup. Are you extremely proud to be an American, very proud, moderately proud, only a little proud, or not at all proud? That was the uh, list of options given in the survey question. Um, You want to pick one? Sure. I mean, I'm extremely proud, Carmen. I I still, and and my reasons are uh, not because I'm Pollyanna about uh, the circumstances that uh, need, like I mentioned, that uh, need need some attention. But uh, we we continue to be um, an incredible uh, nation uh, that has uh, come around some principles that you mentioned in the declaration earlier uh, that uh, uh, Lee Greenwood helps us sing about as as men and women have defended us and given their lives for us. And then from a Christian worldview, we're, um, we, we're a, an incredible missionary sending nation. Uh, we, we still continue to be a platform for gospel proclamation around the world. And um, we have that opportunity in a way that is unprecedented, um, an overused term, but that is unprecedented in our, in, in the globe. And so uh, we, we still have we have the opportunity and also um, the the Supreme Court's rulings over the last several days have reminded us that we we do have a constitution and we do have um, an ordered liberty that allows us to work through difficult things, even if it takes 50 years. We've not had a transition of governments, you know, over um the decades, like many uh, nations around the world have, the U- United Kingdom and uh, Nicaragua and uh, all the rest, there's there's so much dis, um, um, disheveling that happens in nations around the world. And so um, there's a stability here that in our in America that I think uh, many of us take for granted. So um, I do find uh, I think these 
polls are are helpful, no question. Uh, they help provide some again some benchmarks along the way. Uh, I think sometimes they're a bit ambiguous. Uh, I'm not sure that I know the difference between very and extremely. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so I think I think we have to read these with a grain of salt as uh, normal everyday Americans, um, you know, might um, might interpret those words differently along the way. But I'm sure they take some of that into into account. But um, we, we still find ourselves in a in a spot where um, most of us uh, are really glad to be here. Yeah. So I um, uh, I conducted a grossly unscientific survey of my own using the same questions um, across multiple generations in my own family Um, and and older the older folks that I asked in this case, they were 84 and 89, extremely proud without reservation, without hesitation. Absolutely. Uh, The the 50 ish crowd, very proud um, and and made the distinction between extremely and very in the same way you did. I'm not really sure I know the difference, but I'm not the person normally that likes to top out a survey. And so I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give, since you've given me an option that is like uh, just below extremely, I'm going to choose that one. So that's just an interesting moderated um, opinion. When I ask the 20 somethings, actually they were pretty young, young 20 somethings. um, They, there's a hesitancy there. There's a hesitancy there. And so I asked why. And two of, and again, it's so grossly unscientific survey, so I recognize that. Two of them hesitated because it was Pride Month. And they didn't like Mm -hmm. being asked during Pride Month if they were proud. Because they felt like that that was going to paint them with a rainbow brush. And I said, okay, that's not what we're talking about. That's not it, so it, I had to ask the, the next question. And I think sometimes in surveys, timing really, really matters a lot. And I think it matters that Gallup asked these questions at the end of Pride Month. Yeah. So I'll just make that observation. I, I think and, all you know, I, yeah, I think all of that is true. And I think it's uh, it, it is what it is. And I think it's a piece of the picture. It's not a full picture of anything, not. Uh, surveys alone, if you take all the surveys, they're still just a piece. And then mm-hmm. a particular survey is even a smaller fraction of the picture. And so it's a pixel and it, and it it's in the it's in the broad scope and it's helpful. But I think all of those things factor in that that we don't know what the word very means. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we don't know what the word pride means. Now, pride is something that it used to not be. Um, I also think that there's a particularly with the younger generation or the, the generation coming up, there's been projected a, a expectations upon government that may or may not be government's responsibility. And I think if, if we expect government to uh, do certain things that government is not a, a capable of doing very well, uh, I think we're, we're all going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And so when we uh, start to think about uh, the pride that we have in our nation and our um, allegiance to our country and the way that government does what it's trying to do, I think there, there is a disconnect. Um, there are uh, limits to what a government can do. Uh, Paul spoke, or spoke to Timothy with regard to helping us lead quiet and tranquil lives, that we should pray for those in authority so that we could lead quiet and tranquil lives. Well, that protection, 
protection of the vulnerable, giving everyone opportunity to succeed. Again, some of the principles that our founders instilled in the early documents. Uh, we're, 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 we may be trying to outpunt our coverage now. And, uh, mm. and I think as uh, we will find ourselves very disappointed along the way. And, and I think that's part of the recalibration. I think, again, some of the rulings that uh, we've, we've noted over the last few days have pushed decision-making back to the people. And uh, I think civics lessons are really important. Uh, and a younger generation understanding civics and how government is a constitutional um, democracy runs. And um, I think all of those things are factors in the way that we think about our nation. Hey, Daryl, as a walk-off, I'm going to read the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. So this was signed by 56 pretty regular people. Uh, We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the resuscitude of our intentions, do in, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I'm proud to be an American where at least we know we're free, and I would stand with you today um, to defend her. Uh, Daryl, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Love it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. You may be listening right now in some part of the world where you do not enjoy the liberty and the freedom that we enjoy in the United States of America. I'm conscious of that. I'm aware of that. It is my heart's desire that freedom would ring um, in every place under heaven. I also recognize that that is not the reality or the circumstance of life for most people around the world today. So at top of uh, uh, top of prayer today would be those fighting for liberty and the maintenance of democracy um, around the world. I'm, I'm thinking uh, I've got lifted up now uh, the people of Hong Kong, the people of Lebanon, the people of Sri Lanka, and yes, the people of Ukraine. With the capture of uh, Luhansk, Russia now controls the Luhansk province and is shifting its focus to the neighboring Donetsk province. President Biden has announced uh, another $800 million in weapons aid to Ukraine. Notably, um, the president also received and his press secretary acknowledged that he read a letter from WNBA uh, and and U.S. Olympic basketball uh, member Brittany Griner. We've talked about Brittany's plight. She has been detained in Russia since February. In her letter, she is begging the president to, quote, not forget her and other American detainees um 
she's either being held as a political prisoner or she's being held as a hostage. Uh, and the best hope right now is some kind of prisoner swap. Um, and so let us be very, very mindful that freedom does not ring around the world um, and that people are imprisoned today for all manner of things um, and for all kinds of political reasons. Let's be praying today for those who are unjustly held behind bars. And let's recognize that it was from prison that Paul wrote many of the letters um, contained in the New Testament of the Scriptures. Let us also remember um, and never forget. And never forget. Um, all right, Daniel Bennett is going to join us next. Um, we're we're going to talk about the January 6th Select Committee we are also going to talk about um, whether or not there's any middle ground left in U.S. politics. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Are you red? Are you blue? Are you red, white and blue? Where are you on the color spectrum of America? And are you more in the middle or at least Midland than you are to the extreme? If so, you are actually in the majority, but it never feels like it. Daniel Bennett is back from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Stuck in the middle with you. That's what I was thinking as I was preparing to have this conversation with you. Um, most Americans, the overwhelming majority of Americans, are not on the extreme right or the extreme left. They are somewhere in the middle. Um, but it doesn't feel that way. So why can't the middle ground gain traction? Well, I mean, this is a really big conversation. This is a really big question in the study of politics. And I guess we can start with how we elect our representatives and our senators and our politicians and our elected officials in general. Uh, our system really prizes uh, people who run extreme campaigns. And that might seem counterintuitive, considering most of us probably don't hold extreme views. But the primary process... Uh, which is uh, usually made up of people voting who do hold more extreme views, who do who do identify as stronger Democrats, as stronger Republicans. Those are the ones who show up to vote. And so when you're running for one of these seats as a candidate, it's not going to be in your best interest to run as a moderate or run as someone in the middle who talks about the values and virtues of compromise. Instead, you're going to you're going to uh, try to run as a more extreme candidate to appeal to that more extreme. Now, granted, they're a minority, but it's still an extreme voter base who votes in primary elections. And so it's a strange environment where primary elections, especially for president, you know, are seen to give the people more of a voice. Um, but in reality, that voice often leads to outcomes that the majority might not necessarily agree with. Compromise, um, when you used that word, my guess is people either heard that as um, a positive process kind of word um, through which, you know, people establish uh, the the shared ground upon which they stand in common and then they work on um, other things from there. Others view the word compromise as inherently bad. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so in many respects, compromise is essential to our system of government 
where we have competing factions and interests essentially uh, battling battling it out in the sphere or the, the uh, arena of public opinion and public policy making. Um, and there are certain, I think, specifically as Christians, there are certain things that we should not be, you know, willing to compromise on. Um, I think the majority of our policy questions, though, would be areas that we can faithfully compromise to some extent. Um, but the difficulties of compromise uh, really come back to this idea that we say we like it, but in practice, we only like it when it gives us, uh, when it benefits us somewhat. Um, so a good example of this, there was someone running for the Senate several years ago, and uh, he, he had made his campaign a bit about how he was going to, and I'm sure your listeners have seen this before, right? I'm going to work across the aisle. I'm going to compromise and get stuff done, the typical message. So finally, a, a, an interviewer asked him, what do you mean by compromise? And his response is pretty telling. His response is, well, compromise is when we get folks from the other side over to our side. Mm. And um, now that's great if you identify with that perspective. But in reality, that's not compromise, right? Mm -hmm. That's maybe persuasion. It's uh, maybe playing a stronger hand. But I think when we actually drill down into what real compromise looks like, maybe we don't like it as much as we think we do. I think that, you know, establishing common ground, you know, has to be the starting point. And I think for many, many people, Dan, the the reality is they're just not even willing to give the other person or the other side enough benefit of the doubt to imagine that we do have some common ground upon which we stand. I mean, but it could be as simple as we really do all want um, the next generation to to thrive and succeed. I mean, right, we could... There, there, there must be some things upon which the extreme right and the extreme left do agree. Yeah, and taking that simple and uh, I would imagine universal principle that the vast majority of people in this country on the right or the left want the next generation to succeed and to thrive. Um, there is a, a small but vocal uh, minority on the left and the right who won't even grant that. Who see, if you're talking from the left's perspective, would see the right as, you know, fascist, as anti-democratic, as wanting to stifle free and fair elections. Uh, and then if you're on the right, you see the left as wanting to, des to, to destroy the family, uh, to indoctrinate children. And so there's, there's a segment of the population on both the right and the left who can't even agree on that basic principle. And part of that I always tell my classes is part of the blame lies with us. Part of the blame lies with the average person because the, uh, the media's coverage of politics appeals to these sensational and extreme stories because those are the things that gets clicks, right? Those are the things that gets views. And if we didn't click, if we didn't watch, then the dynamic in the media at least might change. And you're a media person. I mean, you know that it, they don't necessarily set the narrative, but they certainly follow the narrative and to an extent mm -hmm. in terms of what's appealing and what, frankly, will be the bills. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, not, not a great note to end on or not a great note to conclude this morning that we're the problem. But, you know, if we want to talk about it from a Christian's per perspective, it's sin, right? We, it, it, all, it all comes back to sin in some way in our fallen nature. 
All right. Uh, we have a listener who has contributed this C.S. Lewis quote to the mm. conversation. So, uh, David Castro, thank you so much. Here it is. Uh, this is from C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength. Um, the speaker here is the chief of the nice police, which if I remember correctly, the nice police are not at all, at all nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't it absolutely essential to keep a fierce left and a fierce right both on their toes and terrified of the other? That's how we get things done. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. C.S. Lewis is so prescient, right? So, so <laughs> applicable. Yes. All right. We're talking with Daniel Bennett. We're talking um, about the, the the reality that most of us are somewhere in the middle, at least willing to have conversations across an aisle, hoping to build a more perfect union, recognizing that, uh, you know, the one we have is imperfect and and always will be at some level imperfect, but that we strive together to achieve a more perfect union um, not not whittling the other side down, but figuring out a way to stand together. Um, and so we are going to continue our conversation. We're going to turn here from um, from this conversation about polarization to the January 6th uh, select committee meetings, hearings that continue to take place. Another one is teed up to happen next. So I'm, I'm going to ask Dan, what, what is the purpose of these and, and how does he think it's going? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what it is I should do. Daniel Bennett and I uh, probably recognized by most of the world as people who are on the right, but we are stuck in the middle with you recognizing that um, from the left and from the right, we as citizens of these United States need to labor together to achieve a more perfect union. And part of that process is unfolding in what is known as the January 6th uh, Select Committee. So, Dr. Bennett, bring us up to speed for people, you know, who frankly are not paying attention. I got to tell you, a lot of people not paying attention Mm. to the January 6th Select Committee. I mean, some people are like glued in and think it's the only thing happening in the world. Most people don't even know it's happening. So bring us up to speed. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, in terms of the day to day, that's pretty much where I am. You know, we're busy people and it's tough to tune in, you know, all all day and and watch these hearings develop. But some of the stuff has been really uh, interesting. Some of it's been somewhat rehashed. I mean, there's maybe some new videos or new perspectives or new accounts of what happened. Um, It doesn't really change the perception, which was it was a really bad day uh, for, for our political system, obviously. Um, the most recent witness was a former chief of staff or a former aide, excuse me, to uh, President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who relayed information that she had observed um, uh, from that day, including this idea that uh, President Trump may, might have known uh, some of the folks in the crowd uh, were armed uh, when he was giving his speech on the uh, on the National Mall. And uh, really didn't care because, you know, they were his people, I think, was the term that that he used. Um, And so that's, you know, something I think they're trying to explain to the American people that this isn't uh, – let me me actually start over again. It's really just uh, the the committee's role here, at least is what they see their role, is to try to portray to the American people that President Donald Trump uh, is not the kind of person you want – in office because of the way that he views uh, the, the, the political system as essentially serving his interests. Now, I don't think it's actually changing a lot of people's minds on this. 
Um, if you look at polling, it's pretty much what we expected. A lot of, uh, you know, hardcore, not necessarily in the middle, but hardcore Republicans are seeing this as um, pointless. They're seeing this as a way to tar uh, the, tr- the president's legacy and, and the views of his supporters. Um, and, of course, the left and, and Democrats are, are pretty strongly uh you know, supportive of the commission and are, and are concerned about its findings. So that's pretty much where we're at. I don't think there's been a smoking gun necessarily. It's been a lot of testimony that has been interesting at, at least and actually really maybe troubling at, at worst. Um, but I don't think we, it really moves the needle on this uh, polarized environment in which we are. I wish that um, we were having a conversation as a culture about the nature of truth, um, I guess my my concern is that there are people who believe it's settled truth that that a person knew this and did this. And other for other people, it is a settled truth that um, that reality is completely different than what that first group of people um, perceives to be true. And then my other real concern um, are these open threats, very, very open and hostile threats against members of the committee and their families. Um, disagree on whatever you want to disagree on, but, you know, but threatening individuals and, um, uh, and, and suggesting that, um, violence ought to be done against anyone in relationship to this. It is, it, is not, it's, it's not Christian. It's not helpful. It's, it's not American. Yeah, certainly not Christian, obviously. And hopefully we, uh, hopefully the, the folks who are doing this don't identify in that way. And if so, you know, we should certainly be praying for discipleship and spiritual discipline and guidance from, from those in their, in their communities. Um, but it just shows just how high the temperature is right now, uh, to the point where, um, these are, you know, congressional hearings are not supposed to be, uh, even when they are prime time, you know, in terms of trying to be really, really sexy, they're really not right. They're 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 just reporting findings and uh, trying to explain a complex narrative. The fact that that people are are taking this stuff and coming to the conclusion that you know what I should do, I should call a member of Congress and dial the number, wait to get the voicemail. Or wait to talk to the you know twenty year old intern on the other line and talk about how I'm going to murder him and his family. Um, that's not a healthy engagement, certainly, and, and hopefully Christians can just unequivocally reject that. Um, but it does show the temperature has just been turned up all the way to where that's even seen as remotely uh, acceptable. Yeah, um, everyone sees themselves as patriots in this. <clears throat> Um, that that term gets used a lot. Um, I mean, certainly those members of this committee see themselves as patriots and those who are seeking to um, oppose the committee at every turn see themselves as patriots. Can you help us understand that term? Yeah. So in a sense, and this gets back to what we're drawing on, whether we're drawing from the same well of truth, you know, we're all the, the winners in our own stories, right? I don't think anyone looks at ourselves, looks, looks at themselves and say, you know what, I think I'm the loser in this story. Like we're all, we're all psychologically the winners, but patriotism has a really interesting uh, connotation in, in, in America, right? Patriotism could reflect just a pride of being American a sense of uh, thankfulness for being a citizen of this country. Um, patriotism might also take a more active, uh, a more active definition to say 
Um, I'm going to do some type of active service as a relationship to, to, to giving thanks uh, to this country. Patriotism might also take the form of you shouldn't criticize this country because it is the best country in the history of the world. Um, or you shouldn't speak ill of our leaders. Um, but you only shouldn't speak ill of our leaders when uh, the leader in question is one who I happen to agree with. And so patriotism could actually be a really self-interested or self-centered idea. I recently read a book from Richard Mao, the former president of Fuller, uh, who wrote a book, How to Be a Patriotic Christian. And uh, I'll be reviewing it for Front Porch Republic here in the next couple of weeks. But the gist of it is patriotism for Christians is not the patriotism that we're used to thinking about in, in the secular context, right? We can be proud of our country. Uh, and he's writing to American Christians, really. We can be proud of our country and be thankful for the gifts that we've been given in our country. But that doesn't mean um, it's a blind loyalty to the country. Um, and especially for Christians, it's a much more active and engaged form of patriotism where you were talking about, Carmen, about trying to build a more perfect union. Um, we intentionally and uh, productively listen to those with whom we disagree. That can be a form of patriotism, given the, given the pluralism that we have in this country. We can wrestle with difficult questions and not assume that we always have the right answers. This doesn't mean relativism. It means confidence to reexamine some of our policy ideas in light of the truth of Scripture. And so uh, Mao's book, I think, would be a good good thing for your listeners to check out. It's part practical, part memoir, kind of him reflecting on his experiences over the last several decades. How to Be a Patriotic Christian, though, I think would be a good summer read, really short, uh, as we wrestle with these questions. Okay, so um, we have a really good question here, um, and I want to be sure that I'm answering this listener correctly. Um, the question is, what about cross-examination? Um, mm. Daniel, my answer to that question is, this is a congressional hearing, not a trial. Yeah. Now, I personally mm. think that the goal of the committee is to supply sufficient information for the Attorney General to indict former President Trump, which would result in a trial, um, which for which I don't think a jury could ever be seated. But anyway, um, but right now, the only people that we're hearing are those who have, like, just willingly agreed to testify. And so you're not going to hear cross-examination because you're also not going to hear anybody on the committee ask the kinds of questions that would be asked had Republicans who had been put forward by the GOP been on the committee, right? I mean, all yeah, of those that, things that, complicate this. That's basically that's basically it. Um, and, and part of this goes back to, I mean, you could put, and this goes back to, you could put the blame on both parties here, right? So Democrats, you know, they tapped Liz Cheney and, and Adam Kinzinger, both Republicans, but pretty vocal anti-Trump Republicans. Uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy is, is a House minority leader, possibly speaker in the future, you know, certainly would have put Republicans on the panel, someone like maybe Matt Gates or or Marjorie Taylor Greene, who are just or Jim Jordan, maybe who are not necessarily dispassionate observers of the process and who a lot of Democrats thought would have mucked up the, the entire workings of the committee. So we were never going to get a true impartial both sides committee here. But the listeners right, cross-examination will come at trial if, it do, if this ever does go to trial. I think eventually the committee, you know, certainly will want to make, have the attorney general look at this. I've always thought of this committee as an informational committee. Like, I really mm -hmm. I really don't see the Department of Justice going after this. It's a way to communicate information to the American people. And in that case, the standards even lower than than cross-examination. Yeah. 
Uh, well, it, it continues to unfold. Thank you so much for helping us at least understand what's happening, even though obviously everybody listening has a wide variety of opinions on <laughs> um, on, on, on what's happening. So we appreciate that and we appreciate the constructive conversation and discourse. That's Daniel Bennett. You can find him at John Brown University and at the Uneasy Citizenship blog. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Hey, just to clarify on um, Brittany Griner, the U.S. government describes her um, as uh, as unjustly detained. So for those of you um, desiring to split hairs on whether or not she uh, had something in her luggage that she should not have had, um, a 10-year prison sentence, which is what she would get um, in, in Russia, and just recognize um, they have like a uh, between an 80 and a 90 percent conviction rate for these kinds of um, these kinds of crimes. Uh, what's relevant here is that she's a U.S. citizen being by the U.S. government's definition unjustly detained. And so I'm, I'm going with unjustly detained and I'm also going for um, pray for her. Um, and if that's not your spirit this morning, then you need to go get in front of the Lord about the spirit um, with which you are regarding another human being who is currently, because she's an American, unjustly detained. Because that's what's going on here. All right. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.